This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. I love to help people. That is my heart. It's all about people. Jesus didn't come to build an empire. He didn't come to build an earthly kingdom. He didn't come to build ministries. He came because of people. He cared for people. He ministered to people. He taught people. He touched their hearts. He changed their lives. And ultimately, he went to the cross. He came for people. It's all about people. It's not about church buildings and ministries. Many businesses are built on moving units. The more products you can sell, the more money you can make. Everything's about finding a way to keep business moving and profits growing. In today's message, Pastor Eddie teaches you that Jesus' model for ministry isn't about headcounts, but it's all about souls. Jesus loves people. For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, Let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3 as he continues his message, Qualifications of Overseers. So there's a lot of qualifications here. Okay, according to Scripture... Qualification, if you, if you notice, if you read it, it didn't say anything about having a Bible degree or going to seminary. Those things are good. Those things are important. I recommend if you do go. But people think that because once they got the degree, that qualifies them to be as an overseer of a church. That's not a biblical concept. Because colleges and seminaries do not make and do not ordain pastors, the Holy Spirit, and God does. That's not the way it's done. They're people, they're not even qualified. They don't have a heart for people. They get a degree and they think, okay, I got a degree. Like if it, it was an, an, you know, an ordinary job, you know? If you want to be a lawyer, yeah, you go to school to be a lawyer. You need a degree to be a lawyer, a doctor, definitely. But that's not what the Word of God is telling you here. Again, it's important. Don't, get, don't misunderstand me. I think you should. I think it's important. But I've known people that have been to Bible college have master's degree. I knew one, a co-worker of mine who had a master's degree in, uh, in seminary. But then he tells me he's going to officiate a wedding between two men. I approached him, and I, I showed him in scripture, and he says, after that, he tells me, you can't take the Bible literally. No, this is, this is one with a master's ma- He has a master's. And he already has a position in the church. And so that's why it's not about having a college degree. It's about what the Bible calls and what the Bible and the Word of God consider who is qualified. Again, those things are important. I, rec- I recommend that you do if you want to learn the Bible, but that's not the biblical concept. So we read our text. Let us study the text verse by verse. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Let's look at verse 1. It says this. This is a faithful saying, meaning it's true. For a man, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. 
first thing this, this individual, this man should have, he must have a desire to be a bishop, to be a pastor. He must have that desire. And can I tell you, that's how God begins to work in you. When you have a desire, a strong desire, many people say, what's God's will in my life? Well, there's a lot of things that God's will for you to be thankful for your servant, but what does God put in your heart? And that's how it births out. That doesn't necessarily mean that your desire qualifies you because sometimes the desire becomes stronger than the call. And that becomes dangerous. But he must have a desire to be a bishop. Now, before we get our hopes high and think that, well, all I need is a desire. I'm clear. I'm good to go. The Bible says I have a desire. Yeah, I have a desire. Understand that Paul is not promoting the position of a pastor or bishop, as it was some kind of commercial. You too can be a pastor. You have a desire, you want it, you can have it. Call 1-800-HEAVEN, angels are standing by. <laughs> you could be a pastor. Can I tell you, in Paul's day when he wrote this, it wasn't taken lightly, the position of a pastor. As a matter of fact, with all the persecution that was taking place, and especially with the early church, who did they go for first? The pastor. Canada, how many pastors have been arrested? Do they, do they arrest the whole congregation? No, they go after the pastor. And, and that pretty soon is going to happen in our nation, the way it looks. So if you want to be a pastor, get ready for prison ministry, because that's where you'll go. That's what it looks like. But Paul is not promoting this and say, hey, you know, go ahead, start. You have, yeah, go ahead, go, in the name of the Lord. You know, I've been a part of a church where a pastor actually promoted being a pastor or starting a plant church as if, you know, it's simple. Just open up a storefront and have a Bible study. Sad to say, some young men actually follow that and are now destroyed because of it. And Paul's going to talk about novice being put into ministry. It wasn't taken lightly in Paul's day. Now, there are also people who want to go for the pastorate for all the wrong reasons. All the wrong reasons. For title, prestige, respect, job security. I don't know about that. Sadly, for money. You know, one thing, be sure that God is calling you. Be sure, be seriously sure. And you say, hey, if the Lord calls you, praise the Lord. Go forward. Do what God calls you. But if he didn't, I feel sorry for you. And that is the truth. That is the truth. That many have gone out because they just want to be. But you don't see the fruit of their ministry at all. Now, let us look at the word desire. I think this would help us even more to understand what Paul is trying to say here. The word desire is mentioned twice here in verse 1. However, uh, they both are totally different. If you have the new King James Version, you'll find that they are identical, but they are two different words, two different meanings. The first desire, where it said, if a man desires the position, speaks of the external desires, an external desire, and we see that in the Greek word, uh, orgo, and it means to strive, to stretch oneself out in order to touch or to grasp something. That is the definition of the first desire. The second desire where he says he desires a good work speaks of the internal desire, and that's the Greek word epithamil, and it means to crave, to long for something. So it's two different words, two different meanings. 
Same word, two different meanings. In other words, what he's trying to say, if you strive to be a, a pastor, you strive to be a pastor because you wholeheartedly crave, and here it is, to serve people, to love people, to care for people, to teach people the word of God. That is what Paul is saying here. He says he desires a good work. He must desire to work, to serve people, to minister to people, be available. Now, it's impossible for one pastor to be available for all. That is why there are other leaders and other people in the church. But he must be available. As a matter of fact, the word minister, the word minister in the Greek means to serve. It means to serve. However, ministers today have turned it around. Instead of serving the church, they want the church to serve them. And you see, when you study the word of God, you see what the titles are, the position, the responsibility, the qualification, who can be a pastor, who cannot be a pastor. We stick to the word of God. God is a God of order. And you cannot fall or falter with this. If you're looking for an easy job, uh, look somewhere else. <laughs> it's a lot of work. I, I love it, to be honest. I love people. Two things I love is people and the Word of God. <laughs> and it went well together. I love to help people. That is my heart. It's all about people. Jesus didn't come to build an empire. He didn't come to build an earthly kingdom. He didn't come to build ministries. He came because of people. He cared for people. He ministered to people. He taught people. He touched their hearts. He changed their lives. And ultimately, he went to the cross. He came for people. It's all about people. It's not about church buildings and ministries. Even though pastors are the most, at the same time, can be the most loved and the most hated, <laughs> the most criticized, <laughs> the most talked about. <laughs> hey, you know, God gives, gives the strength. But you know what? I, I remember what uh, Pastor Damon Kyle said. You know, he had this new pastor who's been about maybe three or four years in the ministry. And he says, I'm giving up the ministry. I'm, I just can't, you know. Uh, there's a couple of people who are just making things difficult in the church. And there's always a couple of people. And he says, well, how many people are you leading now? Oh, about 200. You're letting a couple of people affect your ministry and discourage you when you got like almost 200 people who loves the Lord, loves Jesus, and wants to be fed. And it's a beautiful thing. But it's, it's you know, it's, it's, I say it's a beautiful thing, you know, and, and they always say, oh, do you work? I say, no, I don't work a day in my life because, it, it, you know, because if you love what you do, you really don't work a day in your life. And so you want to be a pastor? If you want to be a pastor, we're going to look at some qualifications here. Verse 2 all the way to verse 7, there are 16 qualifications. 16. And we're going to number them. We're going to go through each and every one, Lord willing. These biblical qualifications of a bishop, overseer, they must have this. And of the 16 of these requirements, 13 are mentioned in just verse 2 and 3. Verse 2 and 3. But can I tell you, even if you, you, it has nothing to do, you don't think this doesn't apply to you because these qualifications also is applicable for us whether we want to be a pastor in leadership or not. If it's expected of the pastor, it's expected of you. But this is why he said it must. 
So here it is, verse, verse 2. He said, a bishop then must be blameless, not perfect, not sinless, though people do expect the pastor to be perfect and sinless. This is not what he's saying. There's no such pastor, by the way. All pastors are, are men, fallible, imperfect, all have feet of clay. You know, in the scripture it says, strike the shepherd, scatter the flock. Speaking of Jesus Christ, but also speaking about the pastor of the church. You go for the leader, you'll get the congregation. Just one person you need to get. And so prayer is much, much appreciated. We covered your prayers. And it's important. There's only one who's perfect without sin. His name is Jesus Christ. But Paul is saying they must be blameless. In other words, this means that no charge of serious wrong can be sustained against him. He must be above reproach. That's number one. Number two, he must be a husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. Now, this lends itself to the idea that bishops and pastors are men. Why? Because husbands are men and wives are women. It's not, it's not to change because the culture changed. If you have a problem with that, again, look at the previous chapter in verses 8 through 15. We studied that last time. It's not about value. It's about order. It's about order. So we look at the order of God as God, his church should be in order. So the qualification of a pastor is a husband, a man, and is not the wife. Now, if I'm a pastor, ordained pastor, called by God, I know I've been called by God, I've been ordained as a pastor, that's not to say that because I'm a pastor, my wife is a pastor. It's not a twofer. It's not in the Bible. It's not a twofer. My wife is not a pastor. And uh, they have a new title for them now, First Lady. Yeah. I, I laughed. It's just as hard when I first heard that. I said, what, there's a president? First Lady. First Lady. What's that to say that all the other ladies are second, third, fourth, and fifth? And my wife wouldn't want that title. I don't need to speak on her behalf. But it's the truth. She's not a First Lady. When the Lord called Mary out, he said, bless you, Mary, not above women, among women. No one's being exalted here. And I appreciate that she gets the respect and love, you know, because when I go through ministry, whatever I go through ministry, she goes through as well. She goes through as well. The family, my kids, we all go through it. You just think it's just a pastor. No, the whole house goes through it. When I, when I deal with obstacles, we all go through it. But I'm grateful for my wife. Anyway, there are three views as to what Paul is saying here. The first view, here's the first view. What is he saying? One wife, what does that mean? The first view is that he must be married. He has to be married. That's the first view. Now, while that is practical, there are a lot of practical reasons why a pastor should be married, you know, unless he has no interest in being married, has no interest in women, of course, not interest in man, but, you know, it's good if, if he is wants to be married, going to be, he should be married. That's, the Bible is not solid on that, but I think it's practical. I think it's wisdom. Because it does help with the counseling of married couples. It helps with the counseling of family and kids. And, and, and it helps to prevent you know, them falling into sexual sin. Now, I, mean, I know pastors that have. But it helps greatly, again, like I said, that you know, a wife could come alongside the husband. 
Let me tell you, I get, I, if it wasn't for my wife, I would be in trouble most of the time. And it's good that you have one as a helper, as God created from the very beginning, one who's, you know, helper, the same word of the Holy Spirit, parakletos. The woman has the same title, help as the Holy Spirit is to the church. Make a helper that can help me, work, be alongside me, comfort me, encourage me, and, and pray for me, and work with me, and labor with me in prayer. And I think that's wisdom there. But people will say, wait a minute. Jesus wasn't married. That's true. But he's Jesus. Now, it's practical, but I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. It's, it's not concrete. He must be married. What's the qualification? Oh, I don't know. I got my degree. I've been in ministry for 20 years. Um, I've helped other churches. I have a good resume. You need to get married. Hold it. I'll be right back. And gets a wife? <laughs> that's not how it works. <laughs> now, Paul, people say, well, Paul, nobody knows Paul's marital status. Nobody knows. The Bible is silent. And we know as we do study in scripture, when the Bible is silent, we too stay silent. We'll try to figure it out. Yes, he was a Sanhedrin, a member of the Sanhedrin, and a member of the Sanhedrin had to be married, but the Bible doesn't say maybe his wife died. Maybe his wife left him. He was crazy. (laughs) We don't know. But the Bible doesn't say, and if the Bible doesn't say anything about Paul, we can't use it. Here's the second view. The second view is that the pastor is to have one wife ever. In his whole life, they can have one wife, just one. And that's not what Paul is saying here either, because Scripture makes allowances for divorce and remarriage. <gasps> yes, it's biblical. God hates divorce. Divorce is not good. But God understands that they're two fallible people, and because of the innocent party, there has to be Scripture for that. And we find scriptures that protects the innocent and when God allows, gives allowance for remarriage. For example, because of unfaithfulness, Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 5 and in chapter 19, Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 19, because of unfaithfulness, the innocent party can leave that marriage. That's what Jesus says. Case of death, obviously. You can find that in Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7 and 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Spouse abandonment. Spouse abandonment. A spouse leaves, never comes back. You find that person is with someone else. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now there are legalistic people in the church that are so legalistic about divorce as like the ultimate sin and even judge those who would marry, who would divorce before they came to Christ. Oh, well, they were divorced, but they weren't saved then. Oh, but divorce. So I have a question. When we come to Christ, are all our sins forgiven? But just a few. It's just, just a few or all. Let me know which ones. <laughs> Listen, if you've been born again, you're saved The Bible tells me that you are a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. All things become new. If that be the case, then David shouldn't continue as king. He fell with Bathsheba and committed murder. Yet because of repentance, 
God said, he's a man after my own heart. Not because of what he did. He's been judged for that. The loss of, the, of, of a child. Moses, he committed murder. Killed an Egyptian. He shouldn't be a leader of two and a half million Jews. You see, but when it comes to this, oh yeah, no, sorry. Legalistic. Legalistic. And that's wrong. God forgives. God doesn't like divorce, but God forgives. I want you to know that. If you have repented, God forgives. God's not going to say, well, you're marked forever. You divorce. No, and you, you, you may have to deal with it. And your children will suffer. If anything, children's the one that suffer. But you know what? There, there's room at the cross, and the blood of Jesus washes away all sin. So that's not the case. The third view which I think is the view, he used to have one wife and not practice, obviously, polygamy. <laughs> There's some religions that do practice polygamy. But let's look at the Greek. The Greek in the text, in the actual text, it literally reads this. It literally reads this. A one-woman man. One woman. The pastor should be a one-woman man. And Paul hits this dead on from the very beginning before he goes to the other 15 or 14. He hits this on because this is where most people fall. You need a companion. The Bible said, if you, you know, it's better to marry than to get burned. In other words, his one woman, his wife, all his love, all his attention must be for his wife and his wife only. He loves, desires, and thinks only of her. And I'm grateful, again, for my wife because she's been more than that to me. It's not easy. There's time when she knows there's something wrong. What's bothering you? She knows me very well. And it's good to have that person with me. But this is what it's talking about. One woman, man. Now, verse Verse uh, 2, he goes on, the next, number 3, he is to be temperate. He is to be temperate. Literally means holding no wine. That's what that means, holding no wine. That's in the Greek, holding no wine or mixed with wine. Mixed with wine. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it, not wise. And for a pastor, it's important. That they're not, uh, they're tempered, they're not out of control, and because that's what alcohol does, it could put you out of control. You need to control yourself. Now, right off the bat, the scripture does not say it's a sin to drink alcohol. It's not a sin to drink alcohol. You've been listening to Running the Race with Pastor Eddie. Pastor Eddie has been diving into the book of 1 Timothy, a letter written by Paul to his young disciple. Paul encouraged Timothy not to let anyone judge him because of his age. How often have you led those who see themselves as older and wiser? Paul gives you great encouragement in 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. In short, lead by example. We're so glad you decided to join us on Running the Race today. Here's Jessica to tell you more. Prayers for this ministry would be so appreciated. The opportunity for the lost to be reached over the radio is incredible. So please pray for our listening audience. 
and that what's shared will alter people's lives forever. Another way you can support us is by prayerfully considering giving in a financial way. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into producing this program, and we're grateful for all who are willing to come alongside us to support the creation of each program. If you feel led to do this, you can find a Give tab at runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. If you missed that website, it was runningtheraceradio.com. While you're there, you can find all sorts of information about Calvary Chapel of Milford. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come visit on a Sunday morning. You'll find service times and directions on the website. Well, that's all for now. We hope you'll join us again next time, right here on Running the Race.